House of Cards, Chapter 52, and Season 4 are over, but we are just getting started here today on our season finale recap of Season 4 of House of Cards. And now, here are the two guys who are not here to provide you with any terror. This is a no-terror zone. I'm Rob Sister, and here is Zach Brooks. Now, this recap is going to be really good. But I don't think it's anything to lose your head over. Yes. Okay. <laughs> boy, boy. Uh, I have to say, a couple episodes ago, coming out of the convention, felt like we had a really good handle on how the next couple of shows were going to go. Did not see us getting really mired down uh, in this whole Ico situation. Yeah, I thought we were going to get Ico, but not in the way we got this Ico. Mm-hmm. Um, this was... This is a this is a left turn I wasn't expecting, and uh, you know, good for House of Cards for keeping us on our toes. So, um, I you know, I, I am I am kind of wishing that tomorrow we were watching the next episode. It's going to be a tough eleven twelve months to wait for this next one. Yep, it will be March twenty seventeen. We will be two months <laughs> into the next presidency of the real United States at that point in time. And then we will be going through either the election or potentially the indictment of Frank Underwood. <laughs> I mean, we may, that might be the, the biggest trick is that that election may never even happen on House of Cards. We might be seeing, you know, Frank Underwood dragged away in handcuffs in the season premiere of season five of House of Cards. And so a lot to unpack here in this episode. Thanks to everybody who made it through our previous 12 episode recaps. I'm sure that must not have been easy for most of you to get to this point, but here we are to recap the season finale. And this will not be the last time you hear from us because I've made this promise before. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But we will do a house of cards chapter four recap show. And Zach and I have already put it on my calendar. Okay. So we it's will be, on the polyhop calendar, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we will be recording that podcast uh, in early next week on March 22nd. Uh, that's a Tuesday night. We are going to be recording it. Uh, we are going to be recording that and taking your voicemails for the first time this season. So if you want to get House of Cards voicemails in, Send them to us, postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. Uh, also, you can send us in your emails, House of Cards, H-O-C at postshowrecaps, H-O-C at postshowrecaps. We will take a number of your emails. And for those of you guys who want to be in on the phone, you know, I don't want to do a live show, but I was thinking maybe I'll periscope that night. We'll have a live stream that you, anybody, the whole world can tune in and see this live stream. You're a real Will Conway, all right? I, you, I see what you're doing here. So. Well, yeah, more Will Conway than Ico, okay? Yeah, I was going to say, we got we got two big characters that are into the live stream here. Yeah. So uh, I, I gave you the benefit of the doubt and said you're Will Conway. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so then we will talk about all that here on our House of Cards uh, chapter or season four recap and the end of the Bo Willimon era. So we'll uh, discuss all that and much, much more. But let's get to the task at hand, the business at hand here. Chapter 52. Overall, Zach, what was your take on how this season ultimately ended? You know, I didn't love the last two episodes. I thought up until the last two, I was really high on the season. 
the last episode I didn't I didn't really like very much, but um the second sorry the second to last episode I didn't like that much. This episode I thought was way different than any episode of House of Cards I've ever watched. It was the most dense episode of House of Cards I think we've ever gotten. I have two and a half pages of notes, and I was just trying to transcribe things. I had to keep pausing. A lot was happening in this episode, um, but I thought it put an end on this season that made me really excited for season five. And I wasn't expecting to be super excited for where we're headed for season five. Really maybe the darkest hour ever of house of cards. And really, I think that Frank Underwood really, if there was any doubt just how much of a villain him and Claire are, this episode was really, uh, I don't know if we needed an unmasking, but I think that that was clear who these people are, and maybe you could argue uh, some of the worst people in all of humanity. Yeah, I I feel like I can make a lot of Breaking Bad comparisons watching this episode, and I don't want to spoil Breaking Bad, and I, I might talk a little bit about kind of comparisons of lines to Breaking Bad, but I got a real Breaking Bad vibe from this episode. I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, I didn't quite think of it on those terms, but I think that even at his darkest hour, I think that Walter White was probably still more redeemable than Frank and Claire Underwood. Oh, wow. All right. Interesting. I don't know if there's any positive trait where I think that Walter White still has love for his kids somewhere in his heart where Frank and Claire, I think that ultimately they only love power to the point where they would have thrown, for Claire, completely thrown this relationship away just because uh, it was standing in the way. I mean, it is a, a loveless marriage. It's a partnership as a means to an end for them both to be gaining more and more power. And to the point where how many innocent people will lose their lives just so Frank can remain in that power. Yeah, I definitely think describing it as a partnership is the way to go. It's 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 not a marriage anymore at this point. Um, they anything that anything romantic that about their relationship is gone, and it is truly a partnership. Um, you know, of the highest level where they have a lot of power and they have a lot of influence over people's lives, uh, and, and it's showing in this episode. Like, ultimately, how many people will lose their lives in this last gasp Hail Mary to hold on to the power of the presidency? But for three more weeks, it's almost at a point where there's really, like, almost no chance Frank Underwood can bounce back after these uh, this Hammerschmidt stuff on top of everything, uh, all this stuff with James Miller. <laughs> I think that this is really... Uh, I mean, f what is Frank Underwood doing here? So if you had to put your flag in the ground right now, do you think by the end of season five is Frank Underwood president or is he in jail? I think that probably, I mean, would, should we assume that season five is the end of the show? I can't imagine that the show ends with the Underwood presidency just going on and on. I mean, I had a dark thought myself in sort of like uh, coming to terms with what we saw in this episode. I wonder if Doug was the person who really screwed things up when he forced the issue with Laura Moretti's husband with the uh, Health and Human Services or whatever the Organ Donation Foundation is. When he got Frank the liver, 
did he do a major disservice to America and to the Underwoods? Because I think you could argue that had Frank Underwood died on that operating table or in that hospital bed, the Underwood legacy would have been cemented as a hero who was assassinated, who died for his country. Claire would be in a much better position, I think. And America would be in a much better position moving forward. Well, I think this ICO thing would have happened one way or the other, uh, even if Frank would have died. I think, you know, despite the potential attack on ICO that Frank called off, I think I still think this domestic incident might have still happened. So I don't know if James I Miller think potentially the Millers might have been abducted. That's possible, considering that this was sort of like a sympathizer here in the United States and it wasn't like any sort of people from ICO infiltrated the United States. But. It would have been, I mean, it was Frank Underwood, the way that he handled it, that led to the way that there was a live Twitter stream of a person being beheaded for all of America and the world to watch. I mean, that was, you could lay that clearly at the feet of Frank Underwood. Yeah, I mean, you definitely could. And you can lay the death of of James Miller probably at the feet of Frank Underwood. But, um, you know, I, I think that's an interesting sliding door situation. I'd love to see an episode where Doug Stamper doesn't move Frank to the top of the organ donation list. And I think, you know, that would be a really interesting thing to keep tracking next season. If we can remember to to look at that and see, you know, when does Doug Stamper go to Laura Moretti? Is it when he feels like Frank Underwood does bad things and he feels guilt about about keeping Frank Underwood alive? Do you um, think that's any part of why Doug feels so attached to Laura Moretti, where he could have kept her husband alive and it would have been such, such a better outcome for the United States of America and the world? I don't think Doug thinks like that. No. I, I, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting thing for the audience to pick up on. I wonder how many other people picked up on that. But I just don't think Doug is is in that situation. I love the character of Frank Underwood. I love Kevin Spacey's performance. But could you argue, I mean, is Frank Underwood the worst president of the United States? I mean, what's worse? A president who, like Walker, is weak and inept and gets pushed around or a president like Frank who is just devious and is almost evil incarnate in terms of what he's willing to do to keep his grasp on the power. Isn't he terrible as terms of a president? Isn't he a worst case scenario of what we would want in the White House? Yes, but we have only seen, you know, in this we've seen one person die because of Frank Underwood's actions. And I think it could be said that there have been other presidents who have made actions that have led to thousands of people dying, you know, because of wars and, and you know, attacks and any other. But was any other there thing intention to hold on to the presidency by any means necessary? Like, I know that there have been many presidents who have made bad decisions and have done all sorts of uh, nefarious things, presumably. I mean, who knows? But just for the sake of not because they thought it was right, but because they thought that it is going to be the only way I can save my presidency. Well, that we know about. Mm -hmm. We We don't get we don't get the look into the presidency that we get of Frank Underwood into actual presidents of America. Do you remember the movie Wag the Dog? Did you ever see that? I know it's sort of an old movie. 
I did see that movie. Um, and, and I remember bits and pieces of it. I know they, they faked a war or they created a war. Yeah. I think that that was sort of like the Hollywood version of this. It is, uh, from 1997. And I think it was like controversial at the time that, uh, De Niro and Dustin Hoffman are in it. And there's a president to sort of like, uh, boost his poll numbers. He ends up with sort of like coming up with some sort of version of, uh, operation, uh, desert storm. And, but they like sort of like film it all in Hollywood. Like they're not actually doing anything. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people that could argue about all other different points in, uh, different U S history of presidents. Uh, that's not what we're here to do today, but just in talking about, uh, Frank Underwood, uh, this is a despicable thing that he decides to end up doing to have a last gasp to save his uh, failing presidency. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, last gasp is probably the wrong way to put it. But, um, you know, I think this this was pretty powerful. This is a really powerful way to end the season. And I, I don't want to bury the fact that I feel like we had Claire Underwood acknowledge the audience for the first time in this show. At the end? Yes. I think Claire Underwood looked at the camera, and I think she made eye contact with the audience, her and Frank both, um, for the first time we had Claire Underwood acknowledge the audience. I need to go back and take a look at the booth review on that and see if there's irrefutable video evidence as to Claire's acknowledgement. Mike Carey says she did not make eye contact with the camera, but I, I think it's <laughs> could have gone either way. Yeah, don't don't trust Mike Carey there. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> look at his stats. He, he's he's wrong more often than uh than Hammerschmidt is. Is Hammerschmidt wrong about anything? I mean, he's wrong about Frank uh, not being a killer. Yeah, he is wrong about that. That's one thing yeah. he's wrong about. Yeah. Are you surprised with how Frank Underwood dealt with that? You know, the Hammerschmidt story drops, and I really thought that at some point you just expect Frank Underwood to do to Hammerschmidt what he did to Kathy Durant a couple episodes ago, where it's really like, oh, you thought I killed them? Well, you know, like, oh, that's because I did. And that's what I do to people. And he just never went there with him to that level where he became menacing. He just always gives him like, oh, come on. Uh, that's uh, that's just what politicians do. You've got nothing. Uh, you know, this is all going to roll off my back. You'll see. Yeah, you're entitled to no story here, <laughs> Hammerschmidt. But uh, he, I did notice that he took Hammerschmidt hostage or he attempted to take Hammerschmidt hostage in an episode where he's dealing with a hostage situation. And he told Hammerschmidt, no, 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 you're going to stay here. I'm not done with you. Uh, but Hammerschmidt still ended up leaving. All really, really interesting stuff. I, I really want to talk about the whole Almaty. Is that the right guy? Yeah, Almaty. I really want to talk about that whole gambit that they attempted to do, where they ended up bringing this guy out of Guantanamo to be a part of this operation to save the Millers. Oh, man. Somebody's got to try to save the Millers. Call John Cochran. Let's save the Millers. Yeah. Call J.B. Smooth. Call uh, <laughs> Will Arnett. Let's save the Millers. So the episode began with Almadi in his prison cell. And I thought that that was an interesting bookend to season four, where the season began in Lucas Goodwin's jail cell. And I do think that, you know, those first words that we heard in the beginning of the season, uh, which were, you know, again, uh, no pun intended, those uh, words I believe were like, a, you know, God damn, you're good with words. And really that did begin this whole sort of avalanche that ends up hitting Frank Underwood by the end. It's Lucas Goodwin's words and his bullet. Yeah, 
Uh, you know, I definitely noticed the bookend too, that we start the season in jail and then we start the last episode of the season in jail. Um, and I also, I, in the first episode, I brought up that it reminded me of Oz. And I know you're not an Oz fan, but we definitely got Oz style drum music as they're introducing Amadi. And if anybody has watched Oz, I, I'm curious if you also caught on to this, but it's it's a very noticeable kind of jazz drum beat that, that starts off most episodes of Oz and, and goes through the season or through the episodes of Oz. And when they introduced Amadi, he's got the same kind of background music. So I wonder if that was intentional. I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody who is sort of worked on both of those shows or uh, any sort of callback or sort of like a tip of the cap, as you've mentioned, I think not even on the podcast that, uh, you know, what a great show that is. And then really kicked off the whole serialized uh, TV boom of dramas. And Alan Steppenwall has certainly talked about that uh, quite yeah, it a was bit. The first it was the first chapter in Alan Steppenwall's book yes. was all about us. Yeah. So it's interesting because Lucas Goodwin's words ultimately did to Frank Underwood or may do to Frank Underwood what his bullet could not do, where it almost would have been better if his bullet killed him as opposed to I mean, Frank Underwood, not only might his presidency end due to Lucas Goodwin's words, but he might eventually end up in jail telling stories to somebody. And people are dying. I mean, as a result of Lucas Goodwin's words, keeping Frank Underwood to try to hold on to this presidency that he might not have otherwise, you know, had there been, we've talked about sliding doors, had, had the sliding doors closed and Lucas Goodwin not even been in this season, you know, does the story doesn't come out with Tom Hammerschmidt. Frank might not try to hang on to the presidency the way he does. And James Miller might still be alive. Damn. Yeah. So stuff <laughs> stuff. <laughs> he would still be out there. Okay. So, I think that this was uh, something, uh, a really interesting metaphor or analogy that was going on here in this episode. So we had Claire and Amadi, and they were in some sort of a safe house. And Claire was basically telling him, look, you are not a person who is a, uh, you know, you don't care about Islam. You're somebody that is basically, you don't care about any of this stuff. You have, uh, you know, you're a jihadist and you have, you know, hijacked the Islamic religion and are using it to your own ends. And basically you don't care about any of this. You're just using religion to try to get people to do what you want them to do to your own ends. And he turned the table around on Claire and said, Oh, I know that you don't care about any of this stuff. And I know that you have just hijacked democracy to get people to do what you want them to do. And it's all for power did you like that comparison and did you think it was a fair one between a guy like Amadi, the leader of ICO, and Frank and Claire who are running the country? Yeah, I mean I definitely think there are comparisons and it's hard to it's hard to see it at first, but you know, if you do see the way that Claire and Frank really have the have the country as hostages and you see the way that the ICO terrorists have the Millers as hostages, you're seeing you're seeing a lot of comparisons there that on the surface don't necessarily bubble up, but um, you know, Frank and Claire are using whatever they can as leverage to, to stay in power. Yeah. In the same way that the jihadists are going to tell their people of like, Hey, you have to do this for God. You have to do this because 
you know, this is our, you know, our great cause that we are. And again, I'm not super up to speed on uh, everything that the jihadists are finding out about. But the same way that Frank is going to say, oh, it's your duty. Uh, You have to do this for America because this is the right thing to do. You know, Frank doesn't care about America. Frank doesn't care about the right thing to do. He only cares and uses that as a lever to get people to do what he wants and keep him in power. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we saw that with the convention. The convention was supposed to be all about democracy and the people electing who they want to be the vice president. But really, it was just a ploy for Frank to get Claire to be vice president. Yeah. So he's totally using the whole system uh, to his advantage. And I really like that. They're willing to work with ICO. I mean, could you imagine, like, according to you know, every other person in America, they're saying, okay, this is basically like, you know, the leader of this huge, you know, Islamic jihadist movement. And, you know, this is probably, you know, the number public enemy number one. They're willing to cut a deal with this person. Like, hey, we don't care, whatever. Just, just help us out with this thing. Help us win the election. And then, you know, we send you back and you, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Well, that's what they tell him. And, and he, he calls their bluff. He knows they're just going to send him back to Guantanamo. Do you think that they were bluffing? Oh, yeah. I don't think they were going to release him. Yeah. It's, they just, I mean, Frank and Claire just use people. Mm-hmm. We know this. And, and I, and I, I back Frank and, and Claire because I, I really like seeing where they go. Just like I backed Walter White and, <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean that that's what I actually believe is the the right thing. And, and I don't think the things that Walter White did that especially the ones that parallel what happened in this episode, I don't think I don't think that's the way to live your life. But uh, it does make for good TV. So how do you think this ultimately goes? So Frank ends up pulling a whole big coalition to go and fight the war against Ico. This is almost sort of like a a Pearl Harbor type situation like ha- happening on TV where people will feel like uh, are so outraged about ICO that all of America has just witnessed this uh, terrible event happen in front of them. I'm sure Pearl Harbor is not the right uh, analogy, but it's the same sort of thing where, you know, that happens and, you know, it really pulls America into World War II. Uh, and I guess you could uh, argue the same sort of thing with 9-11 uh, and how the uh, war in Iraq in 2000, uh, early 2000s ended up starting. So Frank Underwood, you know, basically, you know, pushes for this to happen. And so uh, America is ready to go to war after this. So I have a I have a fictional example that might be a very good comparison for what Frank Underwood is doing mm-hmm. in the Star Wars prequels. OK, Senator Palpatine. Oh, boy. Says that he you know, there is this war going on. And they have to get rid of term limits and he needs to become emperor. So he has the power to end this clone war. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel like happened with Frank Underwood. That's where I feel like Frank Underwood wants to go. He wants to say, let me stay as president until we can end this war. And and that's what Palpatine did. And then ended up extending the war and becoming an emperor. Spoiler alert for the Star Wars prequels. Now, look, uh, what I really need to fight Ico is uh, I need the appropriations to form a clone army of stormtroopers. And uh, once I have that, then uh, there'll be no stopping us. I have plans also to build uh, a great uh, space station in the sky. Uh, It's called the Death Star. Uh, We need that also. Yeah, Doug Stormtrooper. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so for Frank, I mean, it's it's a real turn in the episode when he gets to that point where, you know, they're going to make this work for them. America works for us and uh, we're going yeah, to America does work for yeah. them. That's that's a that's a good comparison. Yeah. Let's antagonize the jihadists to the point that they execute this person on live television and we will make this work for us. Yeah. And and he doesn't even want to cut the feed. He wants America to see what these terrorists are capable of. And so he gives this big speech in the episode from the Oval Office that Tom ends up writing. What did you think of the president's address? I thought it was really good. And as he gave it, I thought, oh, wow, that's that's, you know, we've seen Frank Underwood do most things that we expect a TV president to do. But giving a speech from the Oval Office was something I didn't I didn't even realize we hadn't seen Frank do. Mm hmm. So I thought that was that was really interesting. He talked about what his leadership look like, that his job transcends politics and that they're going to survive as a nation. So he wants he wants to stand up to terrorism. He wants to he does not want to negotiate with these terrorists that they are blind to reason. And, you know, he declares war. And he says, if they, something happens to James Miller, you know, that he died for a reason, pretty much. You know, I don't know if James Miller would agree, but. <laughs> yeah, he can't be happy about this. Can James Miller ever catch a break? No, poor guy. He's always on the wrong tribe. It never goes well for James Miller. Too bad none of us had James Miller in the death draft. Yeah, or just the Millers, you know. <laughs> yeah. None of that would have been a good, that would have been a bring back draft. And so uh, that Frank gives this whole big speech, but it did seem like the speech was moving. People were, you know, uh, Frank warns us, uh, soldiers will die, civilians will die, there will be pain, will be confronted uh, by evil itself. And uh, we will triumph. It's uh, not a war we will lose. We must remember, God bless America. Uh, those were the words of uh, President Underwood. And it really does put Conway in a tricky position. And this was not Conway's finest hour in this episode. No, we're seeing the seeds of dissension among the Schmoopy Conway and the Will Conway. We did see some cracks there uh, between the Conways. And uh, let's, let's explore that. But just in terms of Conway and how he can fight this, is there anything that he can say about this? Like, other than I fully support the president or... Is he saying like, uh, boy, this is an unjust war we're getting into? I mean, that for a Democrat, I mean, I feel like that Frank Underwood's being uh, pretty hawkish here. Yeah, I do think that it's it's a tough spot for Conway, because especially because he was one of the people who was negotiating with these terrorists. So his hands and his fingerprints are all over this. But you know, I th- I mean, James Miller died. He's got to be sensitive to that. I think. You know, this might be something that he has to kind of ride out the storm. All right. So for Conway, he ends up getting some dirt on him in this episode when the storyline comes out about how he lied. Even his uh, campaign manager is pissed off at him. The vice president doesn't want to talk to him. And then we have the moment where Schmoopy can't get the car seat done fast enough. And boy, those car seats can be a pain in the neck. And we see Conway yell at Schmoopy. Yeah, she was not laughing that, was she? No, she was not. She was really bummed out the whole episode. And the only thing that made her feel better was that when he told her she was going to be the first lady. Yeah. I mean, she seemed like she was a little bit better on that. But um, I think we're we're intentionally seeing some some problems. And I think this calls back to when when Schmoopy Conway and Claire Underwood were talking in the last episode. And, and, and Claire might have planted some seeds of doubt in Schmoopy Conway's head. 
in terms of what her relationship with uh, Mr. Conway. Yeah, her marriage. I think Claire made her made her see that that being first lady and president isn't all roses, and and there are some rough times. And I think Schmoopy Conway is starting to see uh, some of the dissension. It was not all rosy in the Conway relationship, but for Remy and Jackie, the secret is out, and they are basically America's sweethearts. They are, and they're going somewhere. That's a surprise. Somewhere far. That's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> this relationship them. really has just been uh, so one, like this unbridled love between Remy and Jackie this season. Yeah, I have a I have a recommendation for where they could go on their on their surprise journey, and yeah. maybe that's like uh, that's um, maybe Scandal or uh, you know any <laughs> right. of any of those other political shows that are not House of Cards. They can just go West Wing. It's almost like the car was going to fly away, like in Greece. For these lovebirds. <laughs> oh, they had Remy and Jackie live. Yeah, the thing, you're the one that I want, Remy and Jackie. Yeah, you're, you're the one that I want to, you know, indict the president with. Yeah. The Frank and Conway vote might be very close, but I don't think the LVP vote for this season is going to be close at all. Why are you officially ready to call it for Remy and Jackie? Yeah, Remy and his running mate, Jackie Sharp. Jackie? <laughs> yeah, Jackie. <laughs> Jemmy, you want to call them? Yeah. Gemini, Jemmy. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Racky, I think, is uh, probably regrettable. (laughs) Let's go with Jemmy. Jemmy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, another contender here for the LVP is, of course, uh, Mr. Doug Stamper. And uh, we did see him. What the hell? Like, this whole big thing is happening. And he's like, yeah, I got to go. I got to go. And Frank Underwood understands. He's like, well, uh, you know, okay, when you're done, uh, you know, come on back. And uh, he has to go see Laura Moretti. I think he knows that Doug needs to be the hundred emoji and Doug can't do that right now. So he's, he's, he's got to go be with Laura so that he can get back to hundred. I'll tell you, I thought maybe was Doug gonna kill Laura Moretti here? Like, was this like the one loose end that they were worried about where, oh, she knows about the organ donor and that that's maybe was going to be Doug's whole big plan that he had to go and take her out because she was somebody who could get them in trouble, even though they're in so much trouble about a million different things. This would really be the least of their problems. And I kind of thought, is Doug going to, is Doug going to take out Laura Moretti? And he's not. And so what is the point of this story? (laughs) this is doug's new outlet for the stress that he has for the things he needs to do for the president i'll tell you i i thought overall this was a riveting hour of television i was really just glued to the edge of my seat the entire time but when there's i'm looking at my timeline here and i see there's five minutes left in the episode and we're sitting in the car with doug and laura moretti I am furious. Yeah, I mean it's it's five lines from the top of my notes. My yeah. notes about Doug and Laura Moretti, and um, I was watching it with Brendan, my roommate, and I I looked at him, and <laughs> when they were in the car with this much time left, I, I go, Rob's going to be so pissed about this. I don't know how anybody could not be so pissed about this. I mean, it's infuriating that you have a million things going on right now that are all incredibly fascinating. And really, I mean, Kevin Spacey in this episode is fantastic. And he's uh, transcendent in, as, as Frank Underwood. And, and really, it's a fabulous, you know, Claire Underwood, uh, Robin Wright is fantastic in this episode. But we're sitting in the car 
with Doug and Laura Moretti for what? For what? We're like, and this is the final moments of the season. Why was this so important? Where is this going in terms of the story? Doug and Laura sitting in a tree. K I S S I N G. You know, I think, uh, I think that this is going to be important down the road. How? How? And this is character stuff. For Where Doug. did the Doug and Rachel stuff end up being important? We spent two <laughs> seasons on Doug and Rachel and there was no payoff. Yeah, there, there was no payoff there. But I do think Doug finally has found his soulmate. And I think he's found the person who gets him that he gets. You know, she knows that what Doug needs is somebody who wants to take care of him and wants to wants to care for him. And, you know, it doesn't bother me as much as okay. it bothers you. House of Cards finale is the Doug and Laura Moretti wedding. <laughs> is that the finale episode? I, I'm just flashing back to the Melrose Place finale. Did you ever see the Melrose <laughs> Place finale? You gotta end it on a finale. It's either Doug and Laura Moretti or Remy and Jackie wedding. Oh, Doug and Laura Moretti a hundred times over. <laughs> Dora. Yeah. yeah. Blood versus Doug. It's really, really just, I, I don't understand. Like this is two season finale. At least they killed off Rachel in the third season finale. We spent a lot more time with Doug in that one. Uh, but again, we're talking about like, did you ever kill anybody? What? Or, or I'm sorry. Did you ever watch anybody die? And Doug's like, yeah, I killed little Rachel in the third season finale. Yeah. I watched your husband die actually. <laughs> just not right there, but through some paperwork I might have. Right. But Doug does get a kiss there. Uh, right before the jihadists behead somebody on national TV or Twitter. Andy has a place to stay tonight. So, you know, Doug swiped right. Good for him. <laughs> yes, good on Doug. All right. What is going on with uh, McAllen and the data dump? You know, McAllen, he is, uh, it was hard to tell. It, it kept, they kept talking about how they were expanding the program, but they're not going to have McAllen as part of the program. That was, mm-hmm. that was kind of a weird thing. So I guess the FBI and the CIA got a taste of what it's like to be able to track everybody's movement and what they're talking about. And uh, they got to get McAllen out of the way, which that does not seem like a good plan. Yeah, it seems like that eventually they're going to figure out what they were up to. And then this is going to get back to Frank Underwood. Yeah, and he, he can just sweep it under the rug by starting some other war and being like, all right, all the bad news come out about me right now because we're about to start a war. How about this move for Frank Underwood? Resign and then have Donald Blythe pardon him. I guess we haven't seen Donald Blythe in like six episodes. I guess so. Yeah, no sign of Donald Blythe uh, during any of this. But I guess for Frank, no, he, I guess he would rather be dead than leave the White House in the same way that Walker left. Yeah, he is not going to he's not going to go down without a fight and he's going to bring down the entire planet with him if he needs to. I just think that that would have been the best case scenario for Frank Underwood to just ultimately have died and been the hero. Yeah, and I think, you know, in in uh Conway brought that up too. He said you're going to get a punishment worse than worse than death. You're going to get a punishment that's being forgotten. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Frank Underwood's going to be forgotten. Oh but, no. They um, won't they won't forget him. <laughs> yeah, but it might be a punishment different than than death. And it is it is like as we enter in the 5th year of this show and even if Frank Underwood gets another ter- you know, say he wins and he gets another term. I mean, at most, this show has like a, a six, seven year life cycle. So I, I'm curious where where this show ultimately is going to make their landing. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I mean, it it could be 
it could be that Frank Underwood finally pays the price for all his sins. He might he might get killed at the end of the at the end of the show, which is what we see in a lot of shows where we have these anti heroes like this. Um, if I had to if I had to stake a flag in the ground right now, I would say the end of the show ends with Frank Underwood being killed. Frank Underwood dying. Yeah, I mean, there's no way he gets away with this. I do think that even the name of the show is House of Cards, which is something that you build up and then eventually it all comes crashing down. I think that we are at that exact point in the show where it all comes crashing down. And I think that maybe this last ditch plan might just push off the inevitable. But I think that the show has to end with Frank in jail or dead. And I I don't think in jail is, you know, in jail leaves it open that he could get out of jail and things could turn around. Um, you know, could the show end with him taking on some kind of protege that then takes power and it's like Frank passes Frank on? Underwood is not about a protege. I mean, as he gets older and weaker. Yeah. His, he, you know, they're all about legacy on this show. Claire is his protege. Yeah, but Claire is not that young either. Hey, how dare you? How dare you, Zach? For me, I was also thinking watching this episode where Frank is talking about, you know, this possible indictment. Just how badly did Claire Underwood screw herself when she could have got away earlier this season? And, you know, now this is potentially like a Skylar White type situation. She could have got away. She was talking about divorcing Frank Underwood. Instead, she comes back into the fold. She wants to be the vice president. So now, how culpable is she in all of this where prior to this, she was looked at as, you know, the wife of potentially a criminal or a crook or at least a very corrupt politician. But now, as his running mate, doesn't that also make her be somebody who's culpable in all of this stuff, including potentially taking the country to war just for political gain? I mean, she doesn't seem concerned with it. If you, you know, I really think that shot of the two of them at the end of the season, they look completely satisfied with their decision to let James Miller die so they can have what they want moving forward politically. And they, you know, nobody else can look at the screen. We see Leanne look away from the screen. I think we see Doug look away from the screen. The only two people who are watching as James Miller's head is cut off or his throat is slit are Frank and Claire. And and they don't even flinch. Yeah. So I think I think Claire, she might have had a chance to escape. But I don't think what she wanted was to escape scot-free. What Claire wanted was she wanted this power and this legacy. Anything else from chapter 52 before we start to look at some of these questions? I mean, you know, I think we have we have Hammerschmidt. Did, did we do justice to the whole Hammerschmidt thing that that he pulled everything together? He confronted the president of the United States. Um, you know, that's that takes some balls. Yeah, it really did. He went there. He wanted an official quote on the record and he really went tip top toes with Frank Underwood and he never backed down. No. He didn't. And he, you know, he even told Frank said, you're going to wait here. And he said, no, I have everything I need. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder if House of Cards had to do some course correction here with Kate Baldwin. I wonder if Kate Baldwin was ultimately supposed to be the character that did this. Like, I wonder if Bo Willimon had a plan in place of this is how Frank Underwood is ultimately going to be taken down that he started off with a reporter and ultimately was going to be a reporter that did him in. And when Kate Baldwin got Fear the Walking Dead, she couldn't be a series regular on this show anymore. 
and that they had to, they brought her back, but it was really just to sort of pass the baton back to Hammerschmidt, who really wasn't a figure at all, I believe, last season. Do you think that they did a little bit of a switcheroo in terms of which character was going to ultimately be this person in the plot? I mean, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I like Hammerschmidt in this role. I like that they pulled him back in um, as somebody that we saw in the beginning of the show. And we really didn't hear much from him after season one. So um, it was a good way to bring him back and, and I think it was pretty smooth if if that is what happened. Because Kate Baldwin's story in this season is is really weird. I mean, she's in two episodes. We never see her on the screen at the same time as Yates, uh, who was her love interest last season. And we see her spend a lot of time with Tom Hammerschmidt. And I guess he tells her, like, ah, back off from this. And then he ends up getting his files back. For, and at the end of the episode, he starts digging into this. But I guess he told her, like, she's probably gonna be pissed. She's like, hey. You told me to back off this story. Now you made like a whole career out of this. Yeah, that's true. We haven't really seen her reaction. He like stole her story. <laughs> yeah. And where is she during all of this? We don't even see her at press conferences anymore. No, we, we really don't. I, I just, you know, inter- that's an interesting theory. I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. But the way that we saw this whole season play out, we'll probably see Kate Baldwin back in season five. Mm, I don't know. I, I didn't think she would be here in season four. And especially uh, with Fear the Walking Dead uh, having like 13 episodes or so in season two, I think that she's probably too busy. What is she in like ever? Is she like the number one lead in Fear the Walking Dead? Yes. It's not a selling point for me. I don't <laughs> think she was that good in House of Cards. No, she's good. She's really good on Fear the Walking Dead. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, after I catch up on like eight seasons of Walking Dead, maybe I'll watch Fear the Walking yeah, Kim Dead. Kim Dickens. Uh, so she does, she does a really good job on that show and she does a good job here as well. All right, let's dig into some of these questions. And of course, uh, send, keep sending in your questions, uh, unless you're listening to this deep into the future, because we're going to be recording our feedback show on March 22nd, 2016. Also send in your voicemails, go to postshowrecap.com slash voicemail. And we will answer a bunch of questions and come up with, uh, you know, we'll check back in with any sort of predictions we made along the way. Maybe I'll even try to like listen back to all the podcasts and like come up with all sorts of things that we got wrong. We'll see. Oh, man, I don't think you should do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Here is our chapter 52 questions. And why don't we start off with Justin Holcomb? I don't believe we've read any of his. Uh, He wants to say. Hold the phone. Did Zach Morris just allow Kelly Kapowski to break the fourth wall with him? That's what I'm saying. Yes. Rewatched the last scene of the episode. They make it, you know, they make it so it's not necessarily clear, but uh, I think we are going to see Claire Underwood breaking the fourth wall next season. This is from Steph B who writes in to say, do you think Frank handled the interview with Hammerschmidt? Well, was there something he could have said? Is there any way Frank could have gotten out from that one. Is there any jujitsu type move he could have done? I mean, I think that they did a, you know, I think Frank did a pretty good job. Um, I like that he referenced the last time that Frank and Hammerschmidt met Mm -hmm. was to talk about him getting the VP spot from Matthews. And, you know, he says Remy and Jackie just have chips on their shoulder to justify their infidelity. So, you know, he, he calls it sensationalism. You know, I think he does a good job diverting attention from the actual truth. Um, Hammerschmidt is like a dog though. He's got this meat on his mind and, and he wants to, uh, he wants to attack this story as much as he can. Um, and Frank brings up that he hasn't talked to Tusk 
or Lanigan to get comments. And I was actually surprised he hadn't gotten a comment from Lanigan. Lots of Lanigan talk. No sign of Lanigan on screen, but a lot of mention of Lanigan. Yeah, is Lanigan on Fear the Walking Dead? Is that why he couldn't be on the season of House of Cards? <laughs> no. Fear I'm the Walking exactly Lanigan? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take an email from Spencer Y, who says, uh, data scientist Aiden's freaking out about the intel agency. Aiden was worried about the law enforcement officials who were using his company's resources to track down the Miller's abductors because of what he did for Leanne uh, and the Underwoods in gathering the privacy data and how he was told that he would take the fall for it. If this becomes revealed, how big of a deal will this be since the Hammerschmidt story has already been published? And are there any dirty deeds, no matter how big or small, beyond the Tom story that could add more fuel to the Underwood fire? Or is the privacy data stuff considered trivial in the overall scheme of things? Well, you know, we were joking around on the last episode about the press conference that Seth potentially could have to do. The data thing seems like a pretty, like, you know, you would imagine like, you know, Mashables doing like a big story on this, but it just seems like there's a lot of other bigger headlines. Yeah, I can't see that being one of the big headlines. And um, I, I don't see Edward Snowden is going nuts somewhere about this. Yeah, I mean, there's probably people in the dark internet, dark web that we heard about um, with with Gavin way back in the day that are that are not happy about this. But. You know, I got to think, especially with what's going on with Conway, it seems like everybody is just listening to everybody. It's a real it's a real big brother um, house of cards. Yeah. And I will use the power of veto to make sure. <laughs> I mean, between Polyhop and this, I kind of feel like that big data was kind of just a big red herring in this season. I mean, we did see the theme of people listening into other people's conversations throughout the season. So maybe this comes back into play. You know, I could see McAllen being arrested and and being the fall guy for some of the stuff that happens uh, maybe early on in season five. I could see that happening. But, um, you know, I think I I just don't think in the scheme of everything that Frank Underwood is going to be investigated for. I don't think this is going to be a big deal. What about the polyamory scandal? polyamory scandal that might be something to leak also to the press also i mean that's going to be something that'll really uh keep people's attention going on that i mean that's really the kardashianing of the whole thing where if they could get that story out there like nobody's going to be talking about anything hammer schmidt is doing that is basically the kim kardashian naked selfie of politics yeah, get David Schwimmer out there to to talk about the Kardashians. And I mean, could you imagine if Monica Lewinsky happened in a Twitter world? I do sometimes actually think about that and how how I wonder if it would be a bigger deal or not as big of a deal as it was back when it happened in the 90s. I think it'd be pretty big. I mean, yeah, but not if there was a, a war on terror going on at the same time and a, a, a report that the president manipulated his way into power you know, You're right. I think-, I think that there was probably less to talk about. So I think that it would have been bigger in the moment, but I think that it would not have lingered as long. Like, I think that, you know, people, that's all people talked about for probably like a year, whereas this would have been all people talked about for, you know, a week straight, but then people would have gotten bored and then started talking about other things. Like it would have been like the white and gold, blue and black dress, or it oh, just man. the this would be the blue and white dress uh, in this case. 
But it is, again, this is uh, it would have been uh, people would have gone nuts for a while. Yeah, that's true. People would have gone nuts. But, uh, you know, I, I don't get me started on the blue and the blue and white, black and gold dress. That was <laughs> that was cr- I, I stared at my computer monitor for a long time with that. I, I could not I could not decide yeah. which way I felt on that. <laughs> also, this is from Spencer, who writes in about how Frank and Claire broke the fourth wall together. The we don't submit to terror, we make the terror line was a great line to end the season. With Claire stealing glances at Frank, is this a setup for Claire to break the fourth wall on her own during season five? Since she's a fairly serious person and not a very dramatic orator like Frank, would the audience think it's cheesy? Oh, no, I think it's going to be really great when we get season five with Claire breaking the fourth wall. Um, And I did think that the we don't submit the... we don't submit to terror. We make the terror line. Uh, that was one of the big parts that I felt like was kind of ripping off Breaking Bad in this episode. Okay. I am the danger. I am the one that knocks. Here's a question from Kayla who writes in to say, is it fair to say that the season four finale has been the least exciting finale we've been given throughout the entirety of the show? Oh man, I, I disagree. Oh, pretty rank hard the finales. Rank the finales. All right, so you're going to have to help me remember what happened in all the finales. Okay. So I believe that the season one finale, I would say, might be the worst of them. I mean, we'd find out that Frank is going to be the VP, but, you know, that sort of comes on the heels of, I believe, the Pete Rousseau stuff happens in episode 12. Right. So, uh, you know, Frank, it ends on Frank and Claire going out, going running at the end of it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one where it could have been the end of the series. Like, it wasn't that big of a cliffhanger at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the worst. Season two finale, we wrap up the Tusk stuff, and then uh, we ultimately get where Walker ends up taking Frank back and then ends up leaving office. And then by the end of the episode, Frank ends up being the president. And he sort of like does like the uh, at the end. And season three, the finale was, you know, Frank and Claire get into the big fight. And uh, we have everything going on with Doug and Rachel. And then this was, you know, if you hated this story, I could see you thinking this was the worst, but I thought that this was incredibly dramatic. My only knock on it is (laughs) the stuff going on with Doug and Laura Moretti. I mean, yeah, I definitely think that I think this was the best finale of them all. I, I feel like the last two episodes didn't jive really well with the rest of the season of house i hear of you cards. but i feel like that all of my anger about that was all in my feelings about chapter 51 it was sort of like okay i guess we're not getting the election this season all that disappointment was laid at the feet of chapter 51 and then by the time that i got to chapter 52 and was accepting of okay we're going to be dealing with Hammerschmidt, we're going to be dealing with ico i thought that this was a really incredibly dramatic hour yeah, no, it definitely felt like I was watching a different show. It felt like an hour of 24 almost. And, um, you know, exciting is is definitely – or least exciting is definitely the way I would not describe this. I think this was the most exciting. Um, was it the, the best story? You know, maybe there were better – maybe there were better stories to wrap up the season than this. But um, in terms of walking away from a season of – House of Cards, where I felt like I wanted to watch the next episode right away. Uh, this is this is probably the the most that I've really wanted to just watch the next episode. Johnny De Silvera writes in to say, for the first time since chapter forty at the start of the season, showrunner Bo Willimon wrote the episode. 
What a great bookend to the season, letting him write the first and final episodes as he leaves the show. Now, these TV, now look, uh, these TV writers' rooms, uh, sometimes uh, the name that gets put on the script in a drama uh, could be, you know, I think that this is, might just be a case of where the showrunner just sort of like takes the credit for that episode. <laughs> yeah. Do we know who the showrunner is going to be moving forward? I don't know off the top of my head. I'm just curious if it's been announced or not. And if it has been announced, I, I'm not sure who it is either, but I'm, I'm curious if it has been announced, did they have any influence over this season? I mean, you know, I, I'm curious what, what they did for this episode to set up what they want to do for season five. Yeah. I think that uh, Donald Blythe, I think is the new showrunner. Oh, and that's why he couldn't be on screen because he was busy like sitting there with a pad of paper and just writing down what he wanted to happen in House Cards. Yeah, he was too busy. Okay. All right. So uh, then I have a question too. Yes. So Megan Z wrote in. Oh. And uh she wrote in and she said if the deck of cards theory had held true, and that of course calls back to the theory that there are 52 cards in a deck of cards, and this was episode 52. The Zach Brooks theory. Uh, this, I can't take credit for this one. This was somebody on Twitter who made this theory. Uh, and, and there were there were four seasons of 13 episodes, which is four suits of 13 cards. If that theory had held true, what would you change about episode 52 to make it a satisfying series finale? I think that Frank Underwood's indictment sticks. And... I wonder maybe if that might have been in an earlier draft of it and then they ended up, oh, we're going to do a fifth season. I don't know if they ever had any thoughts in the original writing of it of like, hey, this is going to be the final episode of the series. But I think that you probably just have Frank Underwood, you know, eventually indicted and led out of the White House and, you know, going into with security. Yeah, I think. You know, that would be interesting. I'm, I would be curious, especially with a deck of cards, which is split into four very distinct suits, if you would be able to take four tracks from the four seasons. Navy blue suit. Yeah, exactly. Navy blue suit. Uh, that's that's not that's not clubs or uh, or mm -hmm. spades. But, you know, I would be curious if that would make each of the seasons kind of have a very distinct you have season one where it's, you know, he's trying to be vice president season two, where he's trying to go from vice president to president season three, where he's president and trying to deal with his marriage and season four, where Frank, you know, I guess where Frank is trying to repair his marriage and get Claire into power. The queen of hearts. Yeah. The exact, the queen of hearts. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Spadey? Is that where they're going? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. This is, seems like a real stretch, Zach. I don't know how anybody's writing a TV show to try to make it seem like it's a deck of cards. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be. I mean, that's how I, I don't would know. write the episode. <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> that, that, that might be. Sometimes a deck of cards is just a deck of cards, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, Johnny DeSilvera also uh, wants to add in, are you too surprised? that the show didn't leave us with who was going to win the general election. I mean, can we assume anything based on where things were that Conway feels like he's got it locked up, but Frank feels like that this is a last ditch effort. Did you feel like we have any big takeaways in terms of the election? 
I mean, I don't know if the election's going to happen for a while. I think Frank is going to declare himself into emergency power for for who knows how long. And uh, it is a good way to keep Conway on the show for all of season five. So we do have that. But, um, you know, I think maybe we see the election at the end of the season of the next season. All right. Well, Zach, what a crazy ride it's been. Almost as crazy as the real presidential race here in 2016. I know we said coming into this, I don't know how House of Cards is more interesting than the real 2016 uh, presidential race. I think that maybe they got there. I think that they did. <laughs> did a good job. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see, you know, in in a year when we're coming back for season five of House now, of Cards and we look, still feel the same way. If you thought our open convention was something, just wait until you see the real one uh in summer twenty sixteen. That'll be uh, a real fireworks show. I, I am seeing more and more headlines about the conventions and things that might happen at the conventions and riots yeah. that might happen at the conventions. House so. of Cards called it first open convention since 68. And maybe, uh, you know, uh, while, you know, from the pen of Bo Willimon seemed like it was science fiction, uh, <laughs> could be uh, incredibly prophetic. Yeah, who who knew? Who knew? Uh, that the Netflix world is alive and well, I guess. <laughs> Zach, we are getting ready for our House of Cards season 4 recap show, which will be coming out next week if you're listening to this uh, as these episodes come out. March 22nd will be the date that we do it. Get in your emails hoc at postshowrecaps.com. Make sure you subscribe to our post show recaps feed. There's only going to be one episode more coming out on the house of cards feed. So switch over to the main feed for post show recaps. Here let's talk about the walking dead and, uh, fear the walking dead with, with Kate our Baldwin. great Kate Baldwin. Right. Yeah. Talk yeah. about her. Uh, we'll talk about better call Saul. Talk about everything else going on. Uh, all the big serialized dramas and much, much Game more of thrones. Yeah. yeah that's, our- that's the next big premiere. I think, well, daredevil's the next big premiere then game of thrones. Yeah. So make sure check that out. Post show recaps.com. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for the iTunes feed or search for Post Recaps in your favorite podcatcher. Follow Zach Brooks on Twitter. You could tell him uh, may, if you want to really dig into the uh, deck of cards theory. It's not my theory, but I, I somebody tweeted it at me last season, and I, I love that theory. I wish it ended up being true. Yeah. So you can go <laughs> ahead and uh, talk about that with Zach on Twitter. If you tweet deck of cards, uh, you can go ahead and go to <laughs> at BrooksZA. <laughs> Yeah, you use you, you, you can tweet deck of cards to me all you want. <laughs> all right, I am at Rob Sister. What is the final hashtag here for chapter fifty two? Well, I really like tweet deck of cards. <laughs> yeah, but that has nothing to do with the show. Uh, Can't go out on tweet deck of cards. That's true. I, I have hashtag Frank Palpatine and hashtag Doug Stormtrooper. So you can pick your Star Wars, uh, your Star Wars reference of choice. <laughs> Uh, Jar, so Jar Jar Underwood, if you want that too. <laughs> Who is the Jar Jar in this scenario? Oh, that's it should the Jar Jar be our LVP of the season? Yeah, well, who would Jar Jar be? <laughs> Jar Jar Sharp. Mm, Jar Jar is the person that Palpatine really just takes advantage of to end up getting in power. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, he's like Donald Jar- Blythe. <laughs> Jar Jar Blythe. Jar Jar Miller. <laughs> I like Jar Jar Blythe at least. Jar Jar Blythe. All right, we gotta work. We gotta work Donald Blythe into the hashtag one more time. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. I, and I am, um, I am looking forward to our, our feedback show. I can't wait to hear from Johnny D. Silvera so he can tell us what it was like to watch the finale before he watched the banana yeah. penultimate episode. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel like, um, and he'll tell us more about this, but I feel like if I would have turned on the finale, I would have realized pretty quickly that I was not watching the next episode <laughs> of House of Cards. Like, oh my God. What a time jump. What a time jump. Yeah. What the okay. hell? All right. Voicemails. Get voice. Voicemails are always fun to hear from you guys. Postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail or send us your emails. HOC at postshowrecaps.com. Zach Brooks, it has been an honor and a pleasure for the third time to completely go through a season of House of Cards with you. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I, it's it's sad that the season's over. I'm glad I'll have my time back a little bit more. But, um, you know, I, I look forward to next March when we can do this all over again. Can't wait. Feedback season wrap up show coming next week. Get your questions in. Looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. Have a good one, everybody. And thank you so much for listening to all of our shows to get through this wild season of House of Cards. Take care, everybody. Bye. 